everybody. Welcome back. I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. In some fun things, the construction in front of my apartment is done. So since we won't have uh, any more random steamrollers or excavators shaking the entire apartment randomly, I'm going to try to shift back to recording and releasing on Saturdays, ideally recording on Fridays, but we'll see if I can get myself organized for that and... One of the things I'm wanting to do in these next couple of weeks is to pre-record a couple of episodes. I am on vacation, so I'm going to have some time. Uh, We'll see if I do it, and that would help with doing that. But either way, we are going to try to shift back to Saturdays instead of Sundays. We'll see how that goes. And on to this week's episode. Today, we are going to be talking about sleep and all of the regulatory cycles involved with that. And with things like indoor lighting and phones and life generally being stressful and pandemics, um, a lot of people these days have um, issues with sleep. And if you're anything like me, you've always had a complicated relationship with sleep. Um, So this is another thing that you could have literally an entire podcast about. There are a lot of things that we know about sleep People spend entire careers researching different bits about sleep. Um, So what we're going to do today is talk about some of the basic sleep things. So the different stages of sleep, what happens in each of those stages, and how our sleep-wake cycles are regulated. I was originally going to do an overview about sleep and then got really overwhelmed when it got to be like Thursday and I was sitting down to read like the 50 articles I had saved for myself. Um, So we're just going to do a little bit and then in a future episode about sleep, we're going to talk about dreaming and whether or not other animals dream. A paper came out recently in the last year or two about how octopuses can dream and I saw a thing the other day about um, spiders dreaming as well. So in a future episode, we're going to unpack that and talk about dreaming in other critters. But for today, sleep. Uh, You do it, everyone sleeps, my cat sleeps, and she is very good at sleeping. And really just about every animal also sleeps, or at least has something that represents a resting, wake, daily cycle. There are plenty of animals that don't fully just pass out, go unconscious for hours a day like we do, Um, but there is still some sort of resting time involved. And some critters might just take short naps from time to time. Uh, We really don't know why sleep as a thing evolved, but a lot of important functions and resets happen while we sleep. We process the happenings of the day in our sleep, which helps us to learn and form new memories. Digestion increases while we rest as well. And some studies even suggest that our brain gets a bit of a wash while we sleep, and any waste processes formed throughout the day are removed. If we don't get the amount of sleep we need, we can't form new memories, we can't learn, so you might end up being a bit more forgetful, it can be harder to focus and concentrate, your reaction times may be slower, and if our sleep regulatory cycles are thrown off long enough, a chronic lack of sleep can put you at increased risk for nearly every chronic health condition out there. So getting proper sleep is really important and should really be a bigger priority in more people's lives, uh, mine included, but you know. Um, But before we get into the regulatory cycles of sleep, 
what happens when we sleep? Is it just dreaming? Do we not? Um, why is it that sometimes you're super easy to wake up and other times not? So when we sleep, we have two overarching stages of sleep. We have REM sleep and the very creatively named non-REM sleep. Non-REM sleep can be further broken down into three stages, and each of these steps along the way can be distinguished by differences in brain activity. So each of these stages are fully detectable with brainwave activity, temperature, body temperature changes, all sorts of changes in each of these stages. So stage one of non-REM sleep is where it all starts, and this is the lightest sleep stage. So this is where we are physically making the transition to sleep and our body is slowing down and relaxing. And a fun thing that can happen here is that your muscles might twitch as your muscles relax. So if you ever happen, um, or if you ever sometimes have something like a super random full leg twitch or jerk right before you pass out, that just means your body hit the relaxation phase before the actual shutting down happened. And you might still have those leg jerks while you're falling asleep. You might normally just already be asleep for it. And sometimes it just happens before you're like fully unconscious. So stage two of non-REM sleep is next. And this is also a stage of lighter sleep. And here the body is really just slowing down more. It can be one of the longer stages of sleep. Um, your heartbeat and your beating and your breathing are going to continue to slow down. Your muscles relax even more. Your body temperature goes down. And at this point, eye movement stops. So as we'll mention again, when we get to the REM stage, REM stands for rapid eye movement. So really in all of the non-REM stages, we'll have low to no eye movement going on. But in this stage of non-REM sleep, there is exactly zero eye movement. So you're just relaxed, you're still, you're pretty chill, and your body is just like, yes, this is sleep. Uh, stage three of non-REM sleep is a really important sleep stage. So I couldn't find what makes this one particularly uh, important in feeling refreshed in the sleep, but um, this is the cycle that needs to fully happen in order for you to wake up feeling refreshed and rejuvenated in the morning. And this is one of the stages of deep sleep. So if something happens to interrupt stage three of non-REM, where this deep, refreshing sleep is happening, then you might not wake up feeling super great. You might still feel a little groggy in the morning. This does tend to last the longest, at least in the first half of the night, and it does shorten as the night goes on. And um, stage three is one of the stages of sleep where it is so deep that you might not be able to wake up. So that could mean that that one time that it was six in the morning on a Saturday and I had accidentally set my rooster alarm clock and the dog was barking at my door and I didn't wake up for it. Maybe I was just in a cycle of stage three non-REM sleep and it just, waking up was not gonna happen that time. And now if this is the first uh, series of going through all these cycles in the night, um, at this point we're done with stage three, about 90 minutes or so have passed and now we are at REM sleep. So REM sleep is a lot of where the nighttime excitement happens. So as we said before, REM is, stands for rapid eye movement. So REM sleep is characterized or the REM stage is characterized by surprise, 
rapid side-to-side eye movement. So as you enter REM sleep, your eyes are going to start moving rapidly and this is observable like through your eyelids so you don't have to like have your eyes open while you're sleeping for people to see this like you can see the eyes moving under the eyelids and one of the fun things here is that this is also the stage where your brain is going to paralyze your arms and legs in order to prevent you from acting out your dreams or hurting yourself in your sleep so if you've ever um i know one thing that is a fairly common thing um, called sleep paralysis when you uh, wake up and you can't move your body at all people often hallucinate in sleep paralysis so if you have sleep paralysis that means that when you um, for whatever reason your body wakes up suddenly and you still have this naturally self brain caused paralysis going on so that's just what's happening there it's meant to be a self-preservation thing so you're not hurting yourself or others in your sleep And uh, REM stage is also where most dreaming is thought to occur. It is possible to dream in some of the non-REM cycles as well, like in the deep sleep of stage three, but REM stage is typically associated with dreams. So this is going to be one of the ones that will get unpacked more when we do talk about dreams in a future episode. So as the night goes on, you go through each of these stages several times. In an optimal full night sleep, You can go through all of these sleep cycles in order about four to six times, and um, that's going to depend on how long you spend in each stage and how long you give yourself to sleep in general. There are some individual variations with age and genetics that can shorten or lengthen one full run of the sleep cycle. Typically, though, it does start over every 80 to 100 minutes, so... The things that are going to impact how many sleep cycles you can get to in a night, it's going to depend exactly on how long one run of your sleep cycle is, and as I said, how long you give yourself to sleep. So, for example, if you only give yourself uh, three to four hours to sleep, you might only be able to get through one, maybe two runs of the sleep cycle, which is less than ideal. So how do we regulate all of the sleeping and when does all of this happen? So the sleep regulation role comes down to circadian rhythms and our internal biological clocks that help to set our circadian rhythms. So every day, our body goes through a series of cycles. We wake up, as the day gets on, we may feel more and more tired. Our body, fluc- our body temperature fluctuates cyclically throughout the day. Different hormones are released at different times throughout the day. For example, melatonin for sleep production stops during the night, starts again a bit before bedtime. We have cycles of insulin release. We have cycles of our thyroid hormones being released. And each of these cycles are part of what makes up the circadian rhythm. In uh, full definition form, the circadian rhythms are the cyclical 24-hour periods of biological activity Um, And particularly the cycle we are interested in today is that 24-hour sleep-wake cycle. Whatever or what regulates the circadian rhythms and keeps them happening, keeps them programmed, is what's referred to as the biological clock. The biological clock and the circadian rhythm are often um, terms used interchangeably, but they are different. There are several genes that help to regulate the cycles that determine our biological clocks, So a lot of our organs have their own little internal clocks, 
but it's the master clock in the brain that keeps them all coordinated and in sync. So, brain anatomy time. There are several sections of the brain, but there are a few in particular that are important for the biological clock. One of them is the small structure kind of near the base of the brain, not quite brainstem, but um, up from the base of the brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is responsible for regulating and coordinating several different systems, largely by controlling hormone production. So inside the hypothalamus, we have a nucleus, a a conglomerate of nerves, that helps to control our daily rhythms called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, or the SCN. The SCN is directly responsible for controlling our sleep-wake cycles in the day based off of information sent to it about light exposure. How this works is that we have a series of light receptors in the back of our eyes, in the retina, and these light receptors also help us see things. They take in light, our brain processes processes that creates an image out of that light. So some of these signals about light detection are also sent to the SCN in the hypothalamus. That signal is then relayed to another part of the brain to start melatonin secretion or stop melatonin secretion, and this is the pineal gland. Depending on how much light or dark is detected, the SCN will direct the pineal gland to secrete melatonin accordingly. Melatonin is the hormone that helps to trigger sleep in the regulation of the sleep-wake cycle. If you've ever had insomnia or jet lag, then you're probably already familiar with melatonin. It's one of the pretty common supplements that people take when they're having sleep issues. Um, So if abundant light is detected, then melatonin will not be produced and will be awake and or we will just wake up from sleep, continue to be awake throughout the day. But if there is dim light or no light, then melatonin will stop production and the body, or I'm sorry, the melatonin will start to be produced and the body will start to begin preparations for sleep. So it's this uh, melatonin production and the cyclical changes of light that form an important environmental cue to help, an important environmental cue to help trigger sleep. In the absence of light, Or if you're in one of the areas of the world where there is just 24-hour light in the uh, summertime, 24-hour darkness in the wintertime, that can make regulating our sleep-wake cycles a challenge, but we do have internal signals that help to maintain a 24-hour cycle since the regulation is genetic. It does come from within, but light is important for helping to keep our processes in sync. So we think that light is such an important signal because we, as humans, are diurnal and are active during the day. Nocturnal things are essentially going to be the opposite. They're going to have a slightly different signal processing system. But for us, since we are active during the day, we want to make sure that we are active and alert and ready so that um, we can perform whatever functions we need to, find food, do what we've got to do, whatever. So that means that light is going to trigger the end of melatonin production so we can be properly awake. And since we can't do things at night, like find food, darkness is going to trigger the beginning of melatonin production since activity is done and that's just nighty night time. So what does a typical circadian rhythm look like? So the fun thing here is that there is an average, but there is scientifically indeed such a thing as morning people and evening people 
where the physical biological clock in your body is shifted either earlier or later. Um, but first, average. Just to pick a starting time, we're just going to start at 7.30 a.m. In a day with about uh, 12 hours of light and dark, 7.30 is approximately when your body is going to be like, oh, hey, it's light outside. We're going to stop making melatonin, gear up for waking up. And one of the other hormones that's going to be released at this point in time is adrenaline. Adrenaline is, um, we're likely familiar with adrenaline from things like fight or flight and being afraid of things. But adrenaline is also just naturally produced in the morning to help with the waking up process. Adrenaline is going to be produced about two hours before we wake up. And this is just going to help prepare the body for the shift from sleep to active daytime. So about 7.30 wake up time, by about 10 a.m., you'll be fully alert and ready for the day. Note, it does take time to wake up to be fully alert, and this is a scientific fact. Um, coordination and reaction times peak in the early afternoon, and as evening rolls around, by about 7 p.m., your body temperature is at its peak, so you're going to be at your toastiest by evening time. Now, ideally anyway, it's going to be dark, your brain registers that dimming light, and at about 9 p.m., melatonin starts to be produced, and then you're going to be starting to gear up for sleep. If you do go to bed by about then, then by 2 a.m., this is when you're going to hit those deepest stages of sleep, so that stage 3 non-REM or REM sleep, depending on your cycle, and between 4.30 and 6 a.m., this is going to be when your body temperature is lowest. And that discrepancy between 4.30 and 6 a.m. for that lowest body temperature, that does actually depend on whether you are a morning person or an evening person. So what happens if you're a morning person or an evening person? What's different? Is it a choice? Is it genetic? Um, so the fun thing here is that there are some like biological, physiological differences between morning and evening people. Uh, with one of the basic differences being very obvious. Morning people wake up and go to bed earlier, and evening people wake up and go to bed later. And this is not a choice. This is a genetically determined situation that happens. So with people that are extreme morning people and people that are like extreme evening people where they like just naturally wake up earlier, go to bed later, like, this is a biological phenomenon. They're not doing it just for, for fun because they want to. It's just naturally when they're ready to go to bed. So, based off of observational studies from existing hunter-gatherer tribes, we think that this is actually an evolutionary leftover. So, sleep is a very vulnerable time, and there are nocturnal predators to humans, other people to worry about. So, if everyone goes unconscious at the same time at night, kind of like our society currently is geared up for now, it leaves your entire tribe very vulnerable. But if people go to sleep at different times, you'll guarantee that there's at least one person awake all through the night. And in these hunter-gatherer tribes, this is exactly what happens. You have very few periods throughout the night where everybody is asleep at once because people will essentially act as sentinels. So as people are ready for bed at different times, people stay up later, so people that are evening people will be awake further and further into the night, and as they're ready to go to bed, they'll do that, and then they'll still ensure people are awake in order to help protect the tribe. Morningness or eveningness, which 
is the are the official scientific words, but does sound fake to be honest. Um, they do shift with age. Uh, younger people, like teenagers, do tend towards eveningness, and older people tend towards morningness until a point. But there are actually genes, as I said, that control whether your circadian rhythms are shifted later or earlier. It sounds like uh, scientists haven't really quite figured out which genes, but the fact that it does appear to have a genetic link means that it's heritable. So if you have a parent that tends to be a morning person or an evening person, then that means that you are going to be more likely to tend towards one or the other. Most people are a happy in-between, but however, since our society was established apparently by morning people, if you do have a later set circadian rhythm that doesn't really fit with society's like nine to five sort of lifestyle, it can end up being classified as a circadian rhythm disorder. But you know, it's not actually really like, in this instance, a biological personal problem. It's more of a societal problem. There are some circadian rhythm disorders that we will mention in a bit, but if it just so happens that your circadian rhythm is set that you go to bed at like 1 in the morning and wake up at like 11, that is inconvenient for most working schedules. Anyways, what keeps our sleep cycles and circadian rhythms in check? Internally, it's primarily that cyclical release of melatonin that's triggered by the signals of light and dark, but there's also a molecule called adenosine. So first with melatonin, as mentioned earlier, melatonin is the hormone primarily responsible for regulating that sleep-wake cycle and is one of the critical hormones in establishing it. One of the fun facts here is that in early childhood development, um, when you're born, you don't have circadian rhythms. But once melatonin begins production, oh, I didn't include it in my notes, but I did write that down somewhere. But it's something um, like in the first several months, I think it was. Um, once melatonin starts to be produced cyclically, that is considered the exact point when the circadian rhythm is established. As we described earlier, when we are exposed to light, melatonin is not produced. In darkness, melatonin is produced to prepare us for sleep. Um, but if we are exposed to high-intensity light at night or high-energy light, such as blue LED light that can come from our various electronics and LED lights that are more typical these days, it does actually delay the production of melatonin and therefore the onset of sleep. Adenosine is the other regulatory molecule, and adenosine is not actually a hormone, so it's not directly controlled by the uh, circadian rhythm itself, but it does have a daily cycle. Adenosine on our cells and brain um, builds up throughout the day as a result of normal metabolic activity. One of the biggest sources of adenosine is the breakdown of ATP for energy. So if you are familiar with ATP, like from a biology class, um, ATP is the molecule that all of our cells use for energy. So all of the uh, sugars we produce or we take in through our food throughout the day, those um, in cellular respiration is turned into ATP for all of our cells to use in all of the metabolic processes that go down in the cells. So as a result of ATP being broken down, once it's broken down enough, we have some adenosine that's going to be left over. And as it builds up, this has been known to 
be an important sleep regulator for quite a long time, really since the 1980s, but there has been uncertainty around the mechanism. Some things that we do know, though, is that there are several receptors for adenosine on our cells and in the brain, and two of the receptors in particular are important for sleep. Um, If it's the uh, second adenosine receptor, if something is wrong with that receptor, then the ability of adenosine to regulate sleep can be impaired. And fun fact there as well, if it's um, abnormal, then caffeine also can't bind to it and is not going to have as much of an effect on your sleep. So the running theory right now for the mechanism is that accumulation of adenosine in the brain, particularly in the forebrain, so the part of the brain that is at the front, so kind of near where your forehead is, the buildup in that region is important for triggering sleep, particularly if you've been awake longer than usual. If you, so from what I've read, it sounds like for normal sleep, wake, if you go to bed when you're just casually tired, the buildup of adenosine might not necessarily be a big trigger, but if you've been awake for a really long time, you've had several days in a row where you haven't gotten enough sleep, then that buildup in adenosine is going to help build that push to be like, hey there, you gotta sleep now, and it's time to just pass out for a good long time. This takes us a little bit to caffeine. So for some fun facts here, in addition to acting as a stimulant, caffeine, as I said, does bind to the adenosine receptors, and that's how it helps to keep us awake. So caffeine helps us to stay awake by binding to the same adenosine receptors that help to trigger sleep. So because of that, caffeine consumption can help delay the sleep-inducing effects of adenosine um, as it builds up throughout the day, because if caffeine is bound to those receptors, adenosine cannot bind to the receptors, so it helps you stay awake longer. So this can end up being an issue if caffeine is consumed later in the day, because then it can prevent the onset of sleep. And different people do have different tolerances to caffeine, so this can have a larger effect in some people than others. Um, But, you know, if you do have trouble sleeping and you often feel a little bit on edge, then maybe cutting down your caffeine consumption throughout the day would be a good move. So we said at the beginning some of the things that can happen if you don't get enough sleep, Um, but what can happen if your circadian rhythms just get out of whack? and sleep is constantly delayed. Literally all of our metabolic processes are rooted in routine, so when those rhythms do get out of sync, it sets us up for all sorts of health conditions, especially on a long-term basis. People who do shift work, like when shifts are randomly timed or night shifts so you can't have consistent schedules um, all the time, Um, pilots as well can have problems with circadian rhythms, and blind people especially blind people that just aren't detecting any light, they can often be at risk for circadian rhythm disorders where they don't follow the same 24-hour cycle. They can be shifted weirdly and randomly, and this can set them at an increased risk for cardiovascular diseases, obesity, and diabetes in particular. However, chronic sleep deprivation and inconsistent uh, circadian rhythms come with an increased risk of nearly every chronic disease out there. Um, And so this includes um, even both physical and psychological disorders. 
So including bipolar disorders, a variety of sleep disorders, even cancer, dementia, and of course the aforementioned cardiovascular diseases, which does include heart attack and stroke, um, obesity, and diabetes. So if you aren't getting the sleep that you need to, it really doesn't set you up for success in long term. So with that super happy note, that is really what I have for you on sleep and what a note to end it on. Um, I was originally thinking about including some sleep tips at the end here, but I feel like I've cycled through enough of them personally that have worked to varying capacities and I feel like recommending them would just feel like a giant cheese ball. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, if you are a caffeine consumer, cutting down on caffeine, especially later in the day, can help you um, prevent your caffeine from keeping you awake late at night. And, you know, a lot of electronics have blue light filters, so turning those on in a night mode, um, especially if you're one of the people that has trouble disconnecting late at night, uh, turning on a blue light filter or two might help with that. Now, again, in a future episode, we're going to cover dreams and how we are starting to discover that other animals can also dream. So, um, stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that needs to learn a little bit more about sleep and circadian rhythms, which we all know is everybody, uh, you can share this podcast with your friends or family. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes. If you really like this podcast and want to further support it, you can leave a review which is a really great and helpful way to help this podcast find other people. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky, Creepy, Freaky Pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. For example, for this episode, I posted a picture of my cat sleeping and she is very cute and fluffy. So if you want to see my uh, sweet kitty Coco, then follow us on Instagram. Thanks to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for the podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time.